<clears throat> Sorry. Uh, could you turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 14? <clears throat> And I'll read, uh, I'll read verses 1 to 4. Second Chronicles chapter 14, commencing with verse 1. And I'll just go to verse 4. So Abijah slept with his fathers, <coughs> and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. I'd just like to commit our, our time to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the music that we've been able to enjoy tonight. Thank you for all those who have brought the, the music to us. And Father, we pray that as we open the word, that, uh, Lord, there might be something that we need to hear tonight. There might be a challenge or just an encouragement. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work in your hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, I <coughs> introduced uh, a new series that I'm going to, uh, to, uh, to bring on King, King Asa. Uh, now, King Asa was the fourth king uh, of Judah, eventually. The first king, if you like, was David. Uh, and, but he was the fourth king of Judah. Um, after, and uh, he was the king of Judah after the split with the northern tribes. And the northern tribes became Israel, and the Judah and Benjamin became uh, the kingdom of Judah. And he was the king of Judah. And what we read here of the um, start of Asa's reign, as we learned last time, was that he, he started, his start was very promising. And there are some, some notable features in the description of his start as king of Judah. Firstly, as we learned last time, we read here that the Lord, uh, that is Jehovah, is described as his God. Uh, when we, we looked at the, the gods of the, the northern kingdom of Israel, that uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had set up. Uh, it was really uh, refreshing to see here that uh, Jehovah, the Lord, is described as Asa's God. And I explained the reason for that. The reason that the Lord was Asa's God was found really, the reason for that was found in, in Asa's family lineage. Uh, he had the good example of his great-great-grandfather David, who followed the Lord, and we looked at what that... Uh, that example was. That's the good example he had. But he also had the bad example of his grandfather Rehoboam, who forsook the Lord and followed false gods. And so he had these two examples uh, that he could follow. And we learned that Asa thankfully followed the godly example of David, uh, rejected Rehoboam's bad example. And because he, he followed the godly example of David, it showed in his reign as king, certainly here in the beginning of his reign. Uh, and we read here that because he chose to follow the example of David, uh, the Lord was his God and he, he uh, commanded his subjects to seek, seek the Lord. 
Now we also read in these last, uh, first few verses of Second uh, Chronicles 14, we also read that there was a peace in Judah when he came to the throne and there was also idolatry in the land. Uh, one, one thing that seems good and another thing that seems bad. When Asa became king, there was peace in Judah, but there was also idolatry. And so how did that come to be? When Asa came to the throne, there was peace in the kingdom of Judah, and it remained for 10 years. There were, verse 1 says, in his days the land was, was quiet 10 years. And his father had only known war, Rehoboam, and knew, only knew war. And so uh, the quiet here is obviously the quiet of a peace uh, or, or, or no war uh, for Judah. And this was something good. Uh, peace for 10 years. For, this was good for the king and it was also good for the kingdom. But how did that peace come to be? How, how come he inherited a peace? Also, when Asa came to the throne, as I said, we read that he set out to rid his kingdom of idolatry. Uh, let me just read verses 2 to 5 again. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the graves. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images. And the kingdom was quiet before him. The fact that Asa set out when he became the king to rid Judah of idols meant that when he came to the throne, idolatry must have been rampant in Judah. You get the sense that there were, there were idols being worshipped everywhere in his kingdom when he became the king. And this was something bad for his people. And that's why he tried to get rid of the idolatry. So when he became king, Asa had peace. That was good. But there was also widespread idolatry. That was bad. So how did this combination of good and bad come to be? Well, the answer can be found in what I've called his father's legacy. We've seen his family lineage, uh, but tonight I want us to have a look at his father's legacy. Asa inherited the good and the bad elements of the reign of his father. This was the legacy left by his father Abijah. And uh, I want us to look at how the peace came and I want us to look at how the idolatry was there. And so tonight I want us to see firstly the reason for the peace. Why was there peace when he came to the throne that lingered for some time? The reason for the peace. Well, we're going to need to go back and have a look at the story of the life of his father Abijah. Just look back one chapter, 2 Chronicles 13 and verses 1 and 2. 2 Chronicles 13 verses 1 and 2. Now in the 18th year of Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. <coughs> and there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. <coughs> Abijah, um, Asa's father, only got to be king for three years. And it appears that those years were, were filled with war. Uh, it seems when Rehoboam, his father, died, Abijah saw an opportunity to, to rule over all the tribes of Israel. His father had only ruled over um, Judah and half the tribe of Benjamin, 
But perhaps when his father died, he saw an opportunity to, to, to rule over all of Israel as David had. So it seems that Abijah, um, when he became the king, he took his army north uh, to the border of Judah and Israel. The southern border of Israel, the northern border of Judah. He took his army up there to invade uh, Israel. Have a look in verse 3. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valour. These are large numbers of soldiers, large armies. Here we read that Abijah set the battle in array. So it tells us that it was in Mount Ephraim, uh, the next in verse 4. And uh, so it tells us that, shows us that Abijah took his army, probably took his army up uh, to the, the border of um, Israel and Judah uh, to invade uh, Israel. And uh, when he got there, Abijah um, is going to stand on Mount Ephraim and with all of the armies before him. <coughs> and uh, he wants the, to tell Rehoboam and his army, he wants to tell them something. He wants to give them a little lecture. Now, Abijah's army was outnumbered two to one. Jeroboam had 800,000 men and Abijah only 400. And we read that when the armies were set in array, Abijah called out to Jeroboam and his army and he declared his right to rule over all of Israel, um, not just Judah. And so let's read verses four to eight. And Abijah stood upon the Mount of Zamarim. Now you get the picture that they've come up to this, there's the mountains and there's the the armies are pitched against each other in the valley, if you like, are Jeroboam's forces. And somehow Abijah is able to stand up a little bit higher and speak to Jeroboam and, and his army. And uh, he, he stood upon the mount, Zem-Arim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel, ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever? even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the son, a servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. And now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the, in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves which Jeroboam made you for gods. And so what Abijah is doing here is, seems that Jeroboam is able to hear what he's saying, and uh, lots of Jeroboam's uh, men are able to hear what Abijah is saying. He's got his 400,000 soldiers, uh, Jeroboam's got his 800,000 soldiers, and he's just <coughs> reminding Jeroboam and his army that God had chosen David, his great-grandfather, <laughs> had chosen David and his seed to rule over Israel. And he said this was a, established as a covenant. We call it the Davidic covenant. Uh, this, he says, was a covenant of salt. And as you know, salt preserves things. And so the covenant was to be a perpetual covenant. He just wanted to remind them that he was in the line of, the, of David and, 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 that was, and David was the one with whom God had made this covenant to, to, to rule, to be king, to rule over Israel. Abijah declared that Jeroboam was a fraud and that he was a rebel 
And he also went on to state that the religion Jeroboam established was a false religion with false priests. Uh, he started to say that in verse 8, and ye are a multitude, verse 8, and there are with you golden calves, they're the two calves that Jeroboam had set up in Israel so that the people wouldn't go down to the temple. They could just go to these, uh, to these golden calves. He said, these calves are Jehovah. And uh, he said, you have made, verse 9, uh, and you have cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the, say, uh, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. And so uh, he claimed that the, 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 the religion that Jeroboam had set up um, was, was also a fraud and a fake. And they would, when people wanted to bring their offerings to Jehovah, uh, they were bringing them to a false god uh, through a false priesthood. Now, all that Abijah claimed that day was true, except to say he didn't mention how foolish Rehoboam had been when he lost the ten northern tribes. It was really Rehoboam's fault not the people of Israel's fate for that. He forgot to mention that part, of course. Abijah then went on to declare that he and his armies were trusting in Jehovah as their God and that they had the sons of Aaron as their priests, the true priests, verse 10. But as for us, Jeroboam, this is what you have done. These are the gods that you've set up. It's all false and, and, and Jeroboam's a, a false a king. But as for us... The Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. And they burn <coughs> uh, unto the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also they set in order upon the pure table, and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us. For our captain and his priests with sounding cymbals to cry alarm against you, our children, O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. And so Abijah claimed that he and his people, the people of Judah, had not forsaken the Lord like the people of Israel. He said that the Lord himself was their captain and that they would be foolish to fight against the Lord. And so here he was, standing here somehow, being heard by Jeroboam. I can imagine Jeroboam just standing there, <laughs> listening, and all the people of Israel, the generals and the soldiers of Israel, just, of Israel just standing there, <laughs> listening to Abijah wax lyrical. And what, but while Abijah was making his grand claims, his grand claims to rule over all of Israel, and while he was admonishing all of them as rebels, <laughs> Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, was cleverly, had cleverly sent some of his army behind uh, Abijah's army to surround them. And so uh, Jeroboam was probably <laughs> listening to all that Abijah said, mm -hmm, while he, his army, half of his army, was surrounding the army of Abijah. Part of Jeroboam's force had come behind Abijah's army to surround it. Verse 13. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to come about behind them, so they were before Judah, and the ambushment uh, was behind them. They were ambushed. 
And so having twice as many men as Judah, the armies of Israel were able to surround the army of Abijah. And this is the worst scenario for any army, is to have the enemy in front and the enemy behind. And so Abijah was probably feeling pretty good about himself. He had the Lord on his side. The Lord's our captain. And Jeroboam's just standing there. He's getting, taking advantage of the time to surround the army of Abijah. So when the army of Abijah, Abijah's army, realized that they were surrounded, the army of Judah did a wise thing. They called upon the Lord. Have a look in verse 14. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and, and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter. So they fell down slain of Israel, 500,000 chosen men. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its towns thereof, and Jeshunah with the towns thereof, and Ephraim with the towns thereof. Now, here we read that, uh, that the, the, pe the people of Judah, the soldiers, called upon the Lord and the Lord gave them a great victory. Um, and I wonder if you noticed who it says called upon the Lord. In verse 14, it says that Judah cried unto the Lord. And in verse 18, it says the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. The Lord gave the army of Judah a massive victory. Now, we don't know how he did it, uh, but Abijah's army was, uh, was outnumbered two to one. They were surrounded, and so it was a miracle. We we've, we've, can read about some of the great um, victories that God gave to the, uh, the Israelites uh, through all of the, 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 you know, the history of Israel. We don't know how it happened, whether there was a flood or whether there was an earthquake or whether he just put some sort of fear into the army of Jeroboam. We don't know how God brought this victory, but we do know that this victory was the Lord's doing. 500,000 men of Israel were killed and three cities and their suburbs were captured. We don't know how it happened, but when the people cried on the Lord, to the Lord and the priests the people shouted and the priests blew their trumpets. That's when the rout began. But what we don't read in this story is that Abijah called on the Lord. It makes very clear that the, 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 the soldiers called upon the Lord, uh, that the, they relied upon the Lord and the Lord gave them the victory because they did. But we don't read that he called upon the Lord or Abijah relied upon the Lord. Now, sure, we read that Abijah led the army of Judah as they routed the army of Jeroboam. And I'm sure at the end of the day, at the end of the battle, uh, Abijah would have taken great credit uh, for the victory, but really it wasn't Abijah. It was the Lord. The Lord did 
a miracle. But this victory meant that Israel would not be a threat to Judah for a considerable time. Verse 20, we read, Neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. Abijah's victory over Israel meant there was a peace. Uh, and that's the peace that uh, Asa was able to enjoy when he came to the throne. You see, Abijah reigned for three years. Jeroboam was soon dead. And this peace, this was the peace that Abijah was able to win for Asa, a peace that lasted 10 years into Asa's reign. This was the legacy Abijah left for his son, a legacy of peace. Although really, it, this was the le legacy God left Asa, not Abijah. The book of Kings gives us a little insight into Abijah's part in the victory. So let's just now go to 1 Kings chapter 15. It's my understanding that the Chronicles give us a really good picture of the sons of David and gives us a lot of the positives, but doesn't always give us the negatives. So let's see what 1 Kings, the book of Kings, says about <coughs> Abijah, 1 Kings 15, 1-3, and about that victory. Who won the victory? 1 Kings 15, verses 1-3. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, reigned Abijam, and Abijam is our Abijah. He, Abijah, ruled over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, Maacah and that's the same woman mentioned in 2 Chronicles as Micaiah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he, that is Abijah, walked in the sins of his father, in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father. Abijah, or Abijah, despite all of his uh, tall talking and his admonishing of Jeroboam, he wasn't much better than the man that he was paying out. The Lord makes it very clear he walked in all the sins of his father and his heart was not perfect with God. And I think this is why Abijah, we don't read that Abijah himself cried to the Lord when his army was ambushed. Uh, uh, he, he, and his great speech was really just the, the hot air of a man who used the Lord's name to get political power. Really, this didn't come from his heart. He just wanted to be king and have power over all of Israel. But when the, the army was surrounded and, and they were in trouble, it was the people who cried to the Lord. It was the people that relied on the Lord. We don't read that Abijah called upon the Lord or relied upon the Lord. Verse 4 here gives us the reason God gave Abijah and Judah the victory that day. Have a look in verse 4. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp, this is Abijah, a lamp in Jerusalem, to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Here we read that the reason the Lord gave Judah the victory over Jeroboam and allowed uh, Abijah to be the king, at least for three years, um, was for David's sake, whom he had made his covenant with. And because of David, he'd made Abijah a lamp in Jerusalem. For 
the three years of his reign so that his son Asa might follow him and establish himself in Jerusalem. Now let's just flip back to 1 Kings 11.36 to understand what it means by a lamp, to be a lamp. Uh, 1 Kings 11.36. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant, this is uh, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, and unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light all way before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen to put my name there. God had chosen Jerusalem to put his name there. It is uh, the holy city. It's the, it's the Zion city of our God. Uh, God chose Jerusalem to, be the, to put his name there and he had chosen the seed of David to rule over Jerusalem. He chose David to be a light in that city. Uh, the lamp... Uh, the light speaks of brilliance and glory and when it's, ref in, when it's spoken in re reference to the Davidic covenant, it's speaking about the posterity of David, speaking about David's sons, David's seed ruling in the place where God had chosen, David ruling or David's seed ruling in Jerusalem. And because God had given David's seed to be the lamp, in that city that he had chosen. That's why God gave Judah that victory over Israel. It had nothing to do with Abijah. He, he was just as bad as his father and he didn't even call upon the Lord himself when they were in trouble. His heart wasn't right with the Lord. God gave that victory to Judah because of the covenant that he had made with David and because Abijah's son would soon be king and his light would shine in the holy city because as we'll find out and as we've already read, when Asa became the king, he was a man who had a heart after, his heart after the Lord. And so it was really the Lord who gave the victory uh, over Jeroboam and the Lord, the grace of God, that allowed Abijah uh, to leave that as a legacy to his son when he came to power. The peace that existed when Asa came to the throne was the legacy his father, was the legacy of his father that had been made possible by God who keeps his promises. So that's the reason there was peace in the land. When Asa came to the throne, it was because of the victory Abijah had over Jeroboam. <clears throat> but what about the reason for the idolatry? Why was there idolatry in the land when Asa came to the throne? Seeing this was Jerusalem, seeing this they had the temple, seeing they did have the correct priesthood. How come there was idolatry in the land? Well, what we learn from 1 Kings chapter 15, if we go back there, uh, what we learn about Abijah's heart explains the other legacy, this legacy of idolatry that Asa left his son, that Abijah left his son. And so the reason for the idolatry <coughs> has to do again <coughs> with Abijah. I want you to notice in, uh, back there in 1 Kings chapter 15, I want you to notice that Abijah walked in the sins, he walked in the sins and all the sins of his father, which he had done 
before him. He'd walked in all the sins of his father. Second Chronicles 12.1 says that it came to pass when Rehoboam had established his kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. So when Rehoboam, Abijah's father, was strong, he forsook the Lord and the law. Here we read that Abijah walked in the sins of his father, his father who forsook the law, and so we can agree that or assume that if Rehoboam forsook the Lord, that was one of his sins that Abijah forsook the law of the Lord. Now an important part of the law, the law of the Lord, is the denouncing of idolatry. It's one of the things that God hates the most. It's, a, it's one of the things stated right there at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. It's a thing that God dealt with uh, time and time again with the children of Israel. Was their, uh, their, their, their wanting to worship idols. And so if you forsake the law of the Lord, which denounces uh, uh, idolatry, then you might assume that Abijah, following the sins of his father, was either an idolater himself or he was soft on idolatry. And there's evidence that he was indeed soft on idolatry when we read in verse 2 here that his mother was Maacah, the daughter of Absalom. Uh, verse 2, three years reigned in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. <coughs> now, here we read that she was the mother of Abijah. So she was the queen mother of Judah. And here we know that she worshipped idols. And we, because these idols are still in existence, when Asa comes to the throne, Abijah clearly did nothing about those idols. Maybe that's simply because his heart wasn't perfect with the Lord. Have a look in verses 11 to 13. We know this for a fact. And Asa did that which is right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David, as his father, as David his father. And he took away the Sodomites in, out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also Maacah, his mother, even her, he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burned it by the book Kidron. It says here that Maacah was Asa's mother. Clearly she was his grandmother. And that's a typical Jewish way of describing a family member. But the point is that Abijah allowed Maacah's idolatry where Asa didn't. And if, if Maacah, uh, sorry, if Abijah allowed uh, the idols to be worshipped in the palace, uh, he clearly allowed it in the nation, and hence the legacy he left with his son when his son Asa became the king. The peace and the idolatry Asa inherited when he became king were the legacy left by his father. Something good, peace, thanks to the grace of God, something bad, idolatry, that he had to deal with. And I think there's an obvious application for us here, especially those of us who are parents, fathers and mothers. We might ask ourselves, what legacy will we leave our children when they leave our care and branch out into the world or when we pass on? What legacy will we leave our children? Let me just read a quote uh, which is defining what a legacy is. In essence, a legacy is what you leave behind when you're gone. It's that thing that you did either for better or worse. 
And it's most often the thing for which you're most remembered. I remember once seeing a sign that read, you get to decide the legacy you leave. We get to decide the legacy that we leave. And so parents, what, what legacy are you leaving for your children to follow? What will you be remembered for? Uh, what example are you setting for your children? The example Abijah left Asa was a man who said grand things. He said the right things, but whose heart wasn't right with the Lord. He, he talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. And perhaps that can describe the example that you set your children. Oh, you'll come to church, Bible underhand, you'll make all the grand statements about the Bible, about Jesus, about God, but really your life, is, your heart is like the heart of Abijah, not a heart that is right or perfect with the Lord. The legacy Abijah left his son was, was partly good, thanks to the grace of God, and partly bad. So what good thing will you leave your children? Will it be how to have peace with God or how to have uh, peace with other people? Or will it be an example of putting Christ first and how to serve Christ? Uh, will it be a legacy of love and of forgiveness uh, that you've sown into their hearts? What good thing, what good legacy are you leaving your children? Is there a bad thing that you are presenting to your children? Is there some idol that keeps you away from God's house or keeps you away from serving the Lord? Is there some idol, some, some idolatry? that you are presenting before your children? Is there a root of bitterness that you're sowing in your children's hearts? <laughs> I just recently heard how a child in a church told the pastor's daughter, you know, my dad hates your dad. <laughs> That's not a good thing, is it? Now, it mightn't have been exactly true, but children hear what we say and we sow seeds of bitterness or criticism in our children's life. Bad things, bad things that we shouldn't leave for our children as a legacy of our life and our example. I found this quote and I'll give you a, just a little bit of background. You might imagine the bitterness in the US, USA after the Civil War, that terrible Civil War. It was a war about states' rights, but it was the states' rights to keep slavery. Should you be allowed to have slaves? Should be up to the states to choose. But for many white people, black people were dirty and they were to be avoided. And I think I grew up in a, in a time when we saw Aboriginal people in exactly the same way. Let's be honest. Well, let me give you a quote. One Sunday morning in 1865, a black man entered a fashionable church in Richmond, Virginia. When communion was served, he walked down the aisle as a black man. He walked down the aisle and knelt at the altar. A rustle of resentment swept the congregation. How dared he? After all, believers in that church used the common cup. Suddenly, a distinguished layman stood up, stepped forward to the altar and knelt beside the black man. Robert E. Lee, setting the example, the rest of the congregation soon followed his lead. That layman was Robert E. Lee, the, the general of the South. He fought for states' rights. States' rights. But when it came to human rights, he was a Christian. I, I've heard that many times. And at least on that particular day, he left an example of Christian love that others should and did follow. 
So what example are you setting for your children, mums and dads, grandmothers and grandfathers? The legacy Abijah left Asa was a mixed one. But I trust by God's grace we can do better than that for our children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for this uh, reminder from Asa's life of the things that our parents leave behind. Some good, some not so good. And I pray that, Father, we would take that advice, that we are the ones who decide what legacy we leave to our children. Father, we don't have to leave our children stuff. We don't have to read them, leave them money or goods, we, but we do need to leave them, uh, leave them an example of a Christian faith and of Christian love. And I pray that we all, Lord, uh, it might be exercised about the legacy that we are leaving our children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.